can hear me all the way to Boar. All right, let's try it again. Let's go ahead and get started tonight. We are uh, continuing our study on defending the faith. And in order to do that, we need to know not just what we believe, but why we believe it. So we've been through uh, many weeks right now of finding out why we believe certain things and more especially why there is is a God that makes sense, that he started all things and that it didn't just come out of some primeval soup or gas or something like that, that all human life and everything, because, you know, we came out with structure. The human body is a tribute to the, to the designer as we look and see how it's put together and how delicate it is in so many different ways and how it's interconnected. And so we see these things, but sometimes we're not taught to think about them. So if we're not taught to think about them as kids and adults, then we, for, then we forget. And then we end up listening to the evil one who's so good at twisting things around, substituting lies for truth. He is just a, a master at doing that and a master of disguise and counterfeit. So we have to be able to see the truth in order to identify the counterfeits, and that's the best way to do it. So we've taken a good long look at what it uh, means and what, what God has designed for us as a Christian. His plan, he wants us to grow up and mature and to become like Jesus Christ. And then we've taken at the end of it here, the appendices, some of the counter uh, arguments that people have used throughout the course of time. We started off with evolution, and um, I don't believe it was just came up in the 17, 1800s. I think Satan was the first evolutionist because he said, I'll become like the Most High. He wasn't, so I guess he thought he would evolve into godhood, and he's been trying to do that ever since and been promising that to uh, other creatures ever since as well. You can become God. So we find that that's one argument. Then we looked at cults. Cults have uh, different uh, viewpoints as it is concerning who Jesus is. They usually divide up the Trinity. They break, try to break that apart. They uh, usually have uh, someone with some kind of special revelation, and they try to assert that with all of its uh, uh, authority as if it were God's word himself. And then we now looked at world religion. So far we have looked at Islam, which is a master counterfeit. We have also looked at Judaism and Roman Catholicism. And so now we're going to uh, look at secular humanism. And that's what we'll look at tonight. We've seen that recently in other studies. But uh, we're going to go ahead and look at it because it's good to review this. This is becoming the prevailing religion of the earth and I don't think people even realize what is going on. So before we begin, let's take a few moments for prayer. So ask for discernment, ask for mem memory that we can remember it. Let's ask that we can use this wisely as we seek to be defenders of the faith. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you once again for your amazing grace, for your amazing love. And Father, we thank you for your plan, your plan that includes righteousness and justice, your sovereignty at work in different ways. And Father, we know that uh, you know all things and you see the end from the beginning. 
and you know us better than we know ourselves. So, Father, I pray that what we learn tonight will not lead us to pure intellectualism, which results in arrogance, but would provide a, an opportunity and the tools to be able to defend the faith that you have left here for us. Father, we ask for wisdom how to use it. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, tonight, we're, again, we're looking at secular humanism. It's in the third appendix in the back of the book. It's uh, along about point D, I think, is where we um, uh, left off at. Secular humanism is, why is it included in the world religions? Why did we decide to put that in the back in the world religions? Because they don't believe there's a God. That's right at the heart of, of what their belief system is. There's no God, so how can it be a religion? And the fact is that they believe this with the same fervor that Christians and other people believe their particular religious beliefs. A, a religion is a system of beliefs. Usually it has a system of forms that goes with it. But that's what secular humanism actually does. Now, the history behind this, and I guess you could go as far back as you want to go into pre-flood and everything else there. But the Humanist Manifesto, as we know it today, the modern version of it, was first published in 1933. So uh, here's something that's been around now for better part of 90 years. It is uh, first published, and I found it, I looked, started looking at it probably 20 years ago, and I found that it has evolved over the course of the last 20 years. They keep changing the words. They keep changing some of the explanations. That's what they do because they believe in evolution. So they don't have any problem changing their viewpoints to meet certain things. So this is when it was first published. You can find this online, the Humanist Manifesto. It is the belief system of atheists. This is what they, this is what they believe. Now, they've learned, they, they learned a long time ago how to cover it quite well. They're able to uh, cover it in a lot of ways, and they hide it. And part of what they do is they promote this godless uh, system of thought behind the scenes. Because uh, I know when I was growing up, I didn't run into anybody said they were an atheist. I don't know, did, was that, did you guys know people that said when you were... Kids, you're almost old as I am, and I'm almost old as Ron, and so, I mean, <laughs> we, anyway, we're, uh, we didn't run into this. When I was in school, everybody believed in God that I knew of. I knew a couple of uh, Buddhists that didn't know what they were, were, that believed in reincarnation, but everybody believed in God. When I was first selling Bible books door to door, I remember this, and I got into a place, I was in uh, southwest Virginia, and I actually remember the place I went into, and it was a man sitting there and in his uh, mobile home, he invited me in, and I uh, had a couple of kids running around, and we started talking, and he told me flat out that he was an atheist, and it was the first time I'd ever run into anybody like that, and so, you know, I didn't have any answers for him then, I was trying to sell him books, is what I was trying to do, but... He, uh, he got me to thinking about it, and uh, he said, well, if I believed in a God, then I'd be weak. That's one of their arguments that they still use, because they think man is the ultimate being. And so uh, they do have a belief system. I said, what are you going to teach your children? He said, I'm going to teach my children to make their own decisions. 
but you're not going to influence them uh, toward your belief system? Well, yeah, I guess I will. And so it's it's kind of an interesting thing. That was long about 1968 when I first ran into one that said they were an atheist. But since then, I've run into quite a few of them. So that's what secular humanism is. A couple of them that I did actually sent me the Humanist Manifesto. Uh, and that's why I said I've run into card-carrying secular humanist. And they had it on a little uh, sheet and a little card that they carried around with them. And they could tell you what they believed really fast. It was fascinating. Now, humanism described as progressive is described as progressive <coughs> without supernaturalism. So when you take hear the word progressive right now, nobody wants to be regressive and go backwards. So it's a word that's kind of catchy to begin with until you look at the definitions that go with it. Meaning it's progressive. There's no supernaturalism to a secular humanist. They don't believe in the supernatural. Um, it's progressive concerning ethics. One of the things that it decides is, hey, we're going to be progressive about ethics because that means we're going to basically let the society determine what's right and wrong. And then we're running into situations now where people are saying there is no right and wrong. The only thing that matters is winning and losing. Now that should tell you some things, not right away, but if you don't have absolutes by which to have a, a standard a real true north, so to speak, then what do you got? You're running in circles is basically all you're doing, and that's what people are doing ethically. <clears throat> they um, progressive. They work for the greater good of humanity, supposedly. They believe they're guided by reason. And part of their reason starts with a presupposition that there is no God. And then they move from there. Well, if you... Uh, start with that presupposition there is no God how do you explain the design and everything so it doesn't it means they're not actually taking into account the data and facts that they claim so well to um, to be guided by reason uh, they say they're inspired by compassion uh, I've heard the statement I don't know if you have or not that uh, all the deaths in the world can be attributed to religion how many people have been killed in the name of religion in the history of the world? A lot of them. A lot of them indeed have. Wrongfully so. But compassion? Uh, they're informed by experience. Now, we, we spend a lot of time working on this, this little chart here. And if we look at this chart and you believe there is a God, and you start there, then the fact that he would reveal himself to you is just a logical step. Okay, hey, you're his creation. He designed you. He made you. He wants wants you to know him. So if he revealed himself to you, you should ask, what is it? Now for that, you can look at inspiration, his word, his scripture, and and you can find out that yeah, it's an accurate revelation of who he is, and you can trust it. You can have confidence in it. But if you choose to believe that matter has always existed and out of a big accident came conscious beings, then all you have is observation. Now the problem with that is even with the internet, we haven't been everywhere. 
We just have not. We have no way to make, to put together every bit of empirical knowledge that we need to, to have an understanding of the world. We observe, we record, we get data. That's what we do. But we still, we don't have but a small part of, of what is going on. I, you know, I look up in the heavens, and it's phenomenal to just look there and look at the stars. And, and you think, Abraham, God's saying, count the stars if you can. And you start going, you know, if you're a kid and you've read that verse and you look up there and you go, one, two, and it doesn't take long to be swallowed, right? Yeah, that's the unfathomable riches of space. But what about the oceans? How much really do we know about the oceans? They've charted a lot of the seafloor and all that, but they sure have not explored every square inch of the oceans. So what are they doing? Extrapolating from the part to the whole, and that's always subject to mistake. What we want to do is go from the whole to the part. Because if it's true about the whole, then it's true about the part. See, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God is a universal statement. All right, you can deduct that because everybody sinned, I have sinned. Valid deduction. The only exception is the Lord himself who has made a special exception, exemption from that particular statement. That's the only exception. So you can look at the universals and you can reason down to the individual parts. That's deductive reasoning and that has a lot of uh, weight to it. Humanism is subject to change as knowledge and understanding advance. It's kind of like science now and all the pure science and every day we come out with a different science and along that with different mandates and things like that we come out with a new science and then and then uh, guess what? It changes tomorrow. Yeah, because scientific thought now is evolutionary in thinking. So why would you expect it to be anywhere else? They see the data one way today. They see the data another way tomorrow. They see it another way the next day. And it's really just a trial and error solution that they're trying to, to really figure out and get close to the answer on. That's humanism. <clears throat> the teaching... First of all, the knowledge of the world is derived by observation, experimentation, and rational analysis. And see, that's on this, this bottom line of this chart. The opposite of revelation is observation. So if you want to gain all your knowledge, then you have to observe it and properly interpret it. But if you look to the revelation that comes from the Almighty that spoke and brought the heavens into existence then you at least have a shot at figuring out what is truth and what is not. Observation, experimentation, and rational analysis. And again, their rational analysis doesn't include the Almighty. Humans are an integral part of nature. This, these are their statements. The result of unguided evolutionary change. Now, evolution, we've been through that. We went through it in, in more detail, but... This is the evolution is a religion all to itself, but this is the uh, this is the religion of evolution. Really, there is no God, and <clears throat> that's why we uh, that's why we're able to identify the biggest part of the problem. Again, on the teaching that ethical values are derived from human need, 
and they're tested by experience tested by experience so okay if this is right and this is wrong we'll test it and if it doesn't work the way we want it to work we'll do something else we'll change the ethical values sounds a lot like some of the politicians we see uh, now because it's ethical for you to act fairly and righteously but I can do anything I want to do see that's that's no pro- there's no conflict of ethics I, I wonder about the ethics committee that is in Congress because it seems like these people are supposed to determine what is ethical and what is not ethical and yet if they don't have any compass how are you going to determine what is ethical and what is not ethical That's, interestingly enough uh, uh, OU basketball coach long time ago a lot of us old enough to re- to remember him, he was on the ethics committee of the, the I think it was still the Big Eight back then when he was on the ethics committee, and he got caught cheating in recruiting. That's a handy place to be, isn't it, on the ethics committee? So maybe you can get away with things. They're they're tested by experience. Now, ethics should be based on right and wrong and absolutes. You find out what's what's an absolute, what's not an absolute, and that's what you base your ethical standards are. Then you find that life's fulfillment emerges from individual participation in the service of humane ideals. Okay? Not too bad, right? Life's fulfillment in the surface of humane ideals. How does that work with everybody on the planet? You know, most people on this planet, probably a third of them, are going to go to bed hungry tonight. They don't have a lot of time for service toward humane ideals as so defined by the ruling class. Because that's what it amounts to. What is a humane ideal? What you find in a lot of people that are extremely poor is they share amazing it's amazing to see that they have so very very little and they are willing to share whatever they've got they found out that the POWs in Vietnam the ones that made it usually were the ones that shared with the other prisoners whatever they had they uh, spread things around and the ones that were selfish and stayed to themselves oftentimes didn't make it at all it's interesting the way the dynamics work in some closed societies whenever uh, that is really put to the test. Love your neighbors yourself. Uh, the golden rule. It goes a long way in any circumstances. Then we have the humans are social by nature and they find meaning in relationships. That's true. But see, our ultimate relationship should be with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be happy when there's nothing on this earth to be happy about. We may be happy because of our relationship with him. But if you don't believe there's a God, how are you going to have ultimate happiness? It's all going to be a series of triggers and stimulations and, and uh, momentary gratification. That's all it, all it can be. But we are social by nature. Uh, one of the worst things about the pandemic was locking people up and isolating them, trying to keep them away from from other human beings, especially loved ones, especially loved ones in bad situations, sometimes sometimes dying and passing away from this disease that was there. 
But what, what, it is, what does that do? It demoralizes people. And we've looked and seen at some things lately. That's exactly what some people want to do to tear down a society, is demoralize the people that are found in the society. But see, it's not just about our human relationships. That's not everything. That's what should be an overflow of our relationship with the Creator. That's what it is designed to be. Uh, oh, and working to benefit society maximizes individual happiness. I mentioned a book by Glenn Beck um, called Agenda 21. And it, it, <laughs> it was a fiction book that was based on a real document. The real document is in the back of the book. And this real document was telling everybody uh, how the government was going to do things. See, because after all, we've got to turn ourselves into an energy-sufficient place without fossil fuel. So how are you going to do that? Well, you're going to test people. You're going to take the ones that fit certain psychological profiles. You're going to put them over here. They'll procreate with people that are designated to procreate with. You put them in a, in a compound of sorts, and there they are in that, that compound. But they have to generate enough electricity to replace what they use off the grid. And they do that by means of bicycles. And you say, this sounds crazy. But you hook a bicycle into an electric grid where you can crank it up like an old telephone that we used to have a long time ago. And guess what? You get to generate electricity primarily to take care of the elites that are running around telling everybody how to live and what to do. And that, according to them, will maximize your happiness because you're doing what you're designed to do. You're benefiting society. Isn't that wonderful? Anyway, this is part of their teaching. There's plans that are actually there that grow out of these things. Just some comments. First of all, the entire argument rests on the premise there's no God. That's the whole argument of secular secular humanism, that there is no God. The Bible says that God established what's good. So what are these people telling us? That what they have defined as good is what's good, but the Bible is the one that says, says that God established what is good. Didn't he do that like the first chapter of the book of Genesis? And he looked on it and it was good. That's what he said. And he looked on the man in the garden alone. He said, not good. So what did he do? He fixed it. He brought a woman. That's, that's what he did. That is God defining and telling us indeed what is good. Some of the comments. By defining good and self-existence, humanists have become a god in their own minds. Now, there is a god. But when you say there is no god, no supernatural being, no higher power, and you rule all of that stuff out, what have you just... You have made a sovereign declaration of what you believe to be fact. You have taken God's place. And they don't... Not that they don't realize it. A lot of them don't care. They think, well, that's right. Mankind is the highest being on this planet. So they define what is good, self-existence, and uh, they become a god in their own mind. Some of this new stuff that's coming out, I haven't quite 
figured it all out yet, but the uh, it's like through the computers they're going to help um, help people create a uh, alternate reality that they can move into and live in, and basically put your whole brain into a computer so you can live in this simulated computer world, kind of like Matrix One and Matrix Two. Uh, the Man and the Machine is another one of the books written a long time ago about that. And it's it's the uh, alternate reality. And sadly, people get so deep into this stuff that they think it's real. They think it's real. The um, People become a god. Wouldn't that be handy if you just lived in a video game? You lived in a video game and you had all the weapons and tools you needed to kill all the opposition and go wipe them all out there and then suddenly you became king of the planet. Now, it's kind of like a monkey I saw out at the zoo one time. We went by the gorilla cage. This is the funniest thing. I Not the funniest thing I've seen, but it right out there in the gorilla cage is this 600-pound gorilla, literally. Great big gorilla. They'd set him up with a throne out there and it's Oklahoma City Zoo and you went out there and here this here this gorilla takes his seat on this throne and then he has all these little monkeys down there not gorillas little monkeys down there and they're just scampering around like they're serving him and he's doing this with his hand I mean it is really a weird looking thing and I looked at that and I went am I seeing this or is this for real? Uh, yes, it was. <laughs> so, <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> everybody wants to run the show, I guess. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say that I don't mind a dictatorship as long as I'm the dictator. You ever heard that? That's mm. The object of faith is where the merit is. It's something we can never lose sight of the fact. It's not what I can make myself believe. It's what I believe in. What is the object of the faith? So if I want to believe that I can make an alternate reality, I can believe it with all my heart. And to some degree, I can't. But it's still not a reality. Okay? The reality is, is designed and laid out by the Almighty. And for me to believe in Him, see, to me that's a reasonable step of faith. To believe that there is a Creator. To believe that He sent His Son because His Word revealed it. That's a, that's a logical step of faith. When I look at what he revealed, I find out that I'm a sinner like everybody else, and he put eternity in the hearts of men. And I look at that and go, I'm a sinner facing eternity. You know, I either got to find a way to save myself or I need a Savior. I mean, really, in a lot of ways, life is really a bunch of simple decisions. It's really what it is. Now... <clears throat> The beliefs, again, knowledge of the world derived by observation, experimentation, and rational analysis. Humans are an integral part of nature, the result of unguided evolutionary change. That's who we are. And we see that is, is uh, <laughs> when they start talking about all the different things that leave God out of the picture... And how nature did this and nature did that. Ethical values derived from human need. And interest as tested by experience. 
life's fulfillment emerges from different um, for individual participation in the service of humane ideals. I blew that one really bad. And that's with a spell checker. I have to stop yelling at those people on the television for misspelling those words. Humans are social by nature, and they find meaning in relationships and working to benefit society maximizes individual happiness. I find it interesting, here we are around the Christmas season, and I find local advertisers wish you a Merry Christmas. Some of them even go through the the Christmas story and about about the Lord becoming flesh and dwelling among us and you know paying for our sins on a cross and I'm so thankful for that. But I've been looking trying to find out is there any national um, advertising going on right now that even says Merry Christmas? I find some of them going Happy Hanukkah and I've been looking for Merry Christmas. You know where where is I don't don't see it. Happy Holidays is all we get out of it because to be politically correct you can't choose one thing over another thing. So <clears throat> the beliefs of um, secular humanism. Now our next one is Buddhism. Buddha, why, why bother with Buddhism? Uh, Buddhism has moved and Hinduism has moved to the western world and put on a three-piece suit. Exactly what has happened. Buddhism is quite a interesting um, belief system because uh, as you take a look at it, some of the history is that uh, Buddha was an ordinary man. Lived about 25, 2600 years ago now. He was before Christ. He was what the Hindus and the Buddhists would believe is the fourth uh, fourth Buddha. They actually believe that there's a series of Buddhas that uh, come forth, and they're looking now for the fifth Buddha, which is part of their um, uh, sequence of events. They're looking in the last days for the emergence of the fifth Buddha to come out. Uh, he was an ordinary man. In uh, Yangon, Burma, I've mentioned this many times, there is a spire about 300 feet tall, and it is overlaid with pure gold. Uh, when I was there 20 years ago, they were getting ready to add another 20 tons of pure gold uh, over the top of this spire. Inside the Shui Dagon, which is what it's called, are over 2,000 separate Buddhist temples. One of the things in this was a Buddha made of six and a half tons of pure gold. Now, it's, it's hard to imagine, but it's just, if you can imagine filling up that back entryway and the, the height of the ceiling and everything, that's a, it would just about fill up that back entryway going out the back of the church. And it was gold everywhere and people starving in the streets not 300 feet away and that really didn't make a lot of sense but it shows idolatry and it shows the deception it shows the addiction of idolatry and it shows it just right right in there he was an ordinary man lived about 500 years ago 
Buddha means the enlightened one. That's what his name means. Which I think is quite interesting. Because when you read when Jesus came, he said, I am the light of the world. Now, Buddha, Buddhism was already around by the time of Christ. So for him to make a statement like that, I don't know if there was anybody at the feast that showed up and they were from the east because they frequently came through there trading with the Jews heading, uh, heading on to Europe and Africa and they came through there and I'm wondering if there were any Buddhists who were walking through there about the time he said, I am the light of the world because a Buddhist is enlightened. They're not the light. May have got their, may have got their attention. Many Buddhist quotes come from Psalms and Proverbs. Interesting. When was Psalms and Proverbs written? A lot of the Psalms written by David, who was the king from 1010 to 970 B.C. Um, Proverbs written by Solomon, king from 970 to 930 B.C. Uh, when did Buddha live? In the 5600s. Hmm. Where did he get it from? Drives me crazy when I hear people say that the the Bible stole things from all these other world religions. And if they had their chronology right, they'd know the world religion stole from what the Bible had to say. Stole from what the prophets had to say. It took from there. Many Buddhist quotes from Psalms and Proverbs. We find that uh, Buddhist teachings are not rules. That's what they say. But they're advice to consider from someone who has gone beyond the everyday views. Okay? So it's supposed to be being enlightened. See, They have been enlightened to understand to a deeper degree what they're really talking about. Uh, the teaching, this is a, a, an evolutionary viewpoint too. Uh, Buddhists, by the way, uh, believe in the lunar zodiac. And so they uh, worship the 13 signs of the lunar zodiac and, and when we walked inside the Shui Dagon and I, I didn't realize that they were uh, into the, the zodiac like that we walked inside the Shui Dagon and immediately inside the gate was a circular thing not quite like an, ar, uh, an altar but it was a, a large circular uh, piece of construction and I went over and looked at it and it's the signs of the lunar zodiac. And they would go pray to different areas depending on where the moon was at that point in time in, in the month. Now, a, a Buddhist will say you should not believe anything without thinking. That's not a bad piece of advice. I mean, could you have got that maybe from Proverbs <laughs> or Psalms? Maybe that could have came from that. But they, they start, oh, right, don't believe just everything you hear. So they're going to they're gonna enlighten you here. Now, Christians are also challenged to test what they read and hear by God's standards revealed in his word. Test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God, 1 John 4, 1. So we're challenged to do this as well. Uh, they say that gods and deities are cultural. So your god or your deity goes with your culture. And as I mentioned, it's interesting, the God of money made it into all these cultures <laughs> all over the world. People like to worship the God of money, trying to get, uh, get stuff back in return for it. But they say that they are cultural. 
One of the things we run into when we go into India or Burma or wherever it is that we go into, they say that the part of the arguments by the Hindus and the Buddhists is we have our gods and the West has their gods. And they say those are the Western gods. Those are not our gods and that's what they argue with their kids. That's that's the way they look at it. They say, yeah, this this uh, God, Elohim, Jehovah, Jesus, they're, they're all from the West. That's not who we worship here. So they have this thing that basically says wherever your culture is, whatever you worship, uh, you know, the Aztecs would worship the uh, uh, sun god, so did the, the Egyptians. The Egyptians worshiped the sun god and about anything else that walked. So they were... Um, but they say that they're cultural. Uh, I would, um, I have suggested to a couple people if they want to do a doctoral thesis on um, the gods of India, I would almost think that you could take what God has revealed about himself. And uh, the first foundations back there gives you a list of how he describes himself within scripture. Uh, the rock, etc., that that you find, and you, I think you could connect the Almighty God to many of the different gods. It's like they took one attribute, the God that is all-knowing, omniscient, and they pulled that out of the Almighty and made that a separate God. You take another God that was that was supposedly a judge pull that justice out of the Almighty and make that a separate God. El Shaddai is an interesting word. Uh, El Shaddai is a word that confounds the uh, uh, young Hebrew student because you look it up and, and Shad means breast. And Shaddai is breasted. And El is God. So it is the many-breasted God. That's El Shaddai. And you go, huh? <laughs> how did how did this word get in here? It's usually translated God Almighty. They usually translate it Almighty. But what it looks at is it is the the God of many blessings. That's what it looks at. God, God Almighty. It's not focusing on His power, but on His ability to bless. That's what the word actually means. So when you see God Almighty in your translation, you can go. This is talking about God's power to bless. El usually is omnipotent God. That's normally what that means. So when we when we look at these, I think you could take the God we know as one, the Lord our God is one God, and then you start looking at his di- different attributes, his different manifestations, and what they did was start pulling those apart and start worshiping individual portions of of the deity, the Almighty, because he's the one that's always been here. He is the one that's always been here. Uh, <clears throat> so they say gods and deities are cultural. Uh, humanity is the supreme being. Uh, this is to Buddhism, interestingly enough. And gods are invented by him. They do not believe in a creator who made all things. So where does this take them? evolutionary thinking to begin with what do they believe in? Reincarnation you come back in another life and another life and another life heard a 
man one time as an evangelist. We were painting a house together, and we were working for a man who was a Hindu in Tulsa. And uh, this man had spent time in India before, and he got in a discussion with this man, and he said, you know, if, if I had to keep coming back over and over and over again, he said, I think that's slavery. Christ set us free. He said, that's where the freedom is found. And uh, it's interesting. They don't believe in a, in a creator God. So it's evidently all just been here, and it's evolutionary in thought. And if it's evolutionary in thought to begin with, where would it come from? Right out of the mouth of Satan. In effect, believing God's an illusion from one's imagination. Now, that's Buddhism. So it's interesting, not one God, your God. Okay, but we've got a lot of gods that we will worship, a lot of different idols. Uh, more of their teaching. The Buddha said it was more important to take steps to end your suffering than to follow endless discussions on the true nature of life exist in itself. There's no inherent meaning attached to life. Hey, that didn't make a lot of sense. The Buddha said it was more important to take steps to end your suffering than to follow endless discussions on the true nature of life. Uh, life exists in itself, no inherent meaning attached to life. Should be a period after life on that particular comment. I suspect the book has got it right and I got it wrong here. But the... Injure <clears throat> um, suffering. Now what does that tell you about their goal in life? Just to be happy? Be calm? Be at peace? Well, I mentioned before that... Uh, we know people in uh, Burma. One young man was, uh, by the time he was five, he'd been declared a god because of all the astral projection and all the other stuff that he'd been taught by his dad. And, and his grandma was a believer, left a Bible there. And uh, this man became so demon-possessed, literally, that he, he never could see them. But he could hear them, and they wouldn't let him sleep. They would keep him awake day in, day out. Sleep deprivation, as you know, is a is a, a ruiner real fast. And he could smell them. And he said it was the most vile smell you've ever, ever smelled any time in your life. And he could hear them, and they wouldn't let him rest or get any sleep. And he got saved. And when he saved, got saved, all the demons left. And he had, for the first time in his life, peace. So he doesn't go to, he doesn't evangelize Buddhists by saying, do you know where you'll spend eternity? Those gospel coins don't do any good over there. That's, they don't do any good because they spend eternity in reincarnation cycles. Doesn't make any difference to them. He instead goes, hey brother, have you found that peace that you've been looking for? Because Buddha is supposed to lead you to peace of soul. Being enlightened leads you to a peace of soul. Being able to... Uh, they, they go into these yoga trances with all these mantras and it tries to get you to clear all your brain so you can forget all the things that are going on on the outside. And he said... And that's the way he opens up. And so far, I don't know what's happened since the pandemic, but he was leading 20 to 30 monks a month to the Lord. 
because he's able to look at him and say, I've been exactly where you are. I never found any peace. Have you found that peace? And start talking to him about a man named Jesus. And uh, they shake that off. Quite a, quite a powerful ministry uh, that he has. But see, they don't, uh, they don't think it's just life exists. has no special meaning to it. We look at it and go, and God created life. Why did he create it? We read, his Bible, read the Bible. Well, he wants a relationship with us. Why? Because he's God. And he's grace. And he knows we're messed up. So he sent his son to take our place on a cross so we could have fellowship forever with him. Now, to me, that's just that's amazing. Life has a special meaning. Because we're made in the image of God. He cares about us. The acts undertaken in this and earlier lifetimes will be felt in the next one. In that night, known as reincarnation. Now see, they also have different groups that believe in a transmigration of souls. Oh, that's different. Reincarnation, if you, if you die as a person, you come back as a person. Now I guess if you believe in that, that's probably a good thing. But transmigration of souls, if you believe, if you had a really bad life, the light, you could come back as a grasshopper. Most of us remember that old movie Kung Fu with a carotene in it that was a, a nutcase. But the, the, it was the grasshopper, that was his name. Yeah, what, what did he believe in? Transmigration of, of souls. They have to escape from rebirth to nirvana. That's eventually what they're shooting for, but it doesn't seem like anybody ever makes it. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, Buddha uh, did not want the title God. He didn't want it. And it wasn't for two or three hundred years after he died that the people that followed his teachings deified him, turned him into a god. That's part of what they believe, that mankind makes its own gods. So they made him a god. It's important to read and to listen to great teachers so we can undo more of our ignorance. So if you're a Buddhist, you ought to want to study everything and everybody. Sounds like a Unitarian. Unitarians are interesting group of people because Unitarians, see, they, they, uh, they like to do all that, kind of like what's become known as the Baha'i which is a group that says we're going to take the best of all the world's religions and we're going to put them together. But they really leave Jesus out of it, so they miss the best of all the world's religion. More teaching. <clears throat> Healing comes from the mind. Hmm. That almost sounds like at the root of Christian science. That <laughs> Healing comes from the mind. Well, it's true. The mind's got a lot to do with it. But that's their, their total viewpoint. We're responsible for creating our, creating our own suffering and also to create the circumstances of our release. So you find yourself a sinner facing eternity. You have to find a savior or find a way to save yourself. Which route did they choose? They're going to find a way to save themselves. The... <clears throat> A life reborn as a human is considered a very precious thing. Okay, so I guess they like little babies. 
because that's somebody from the past, maybe some old relative back there, and he's got another shot, or she's got another shot. That, uh, it's amazing the number of people believe in this. I, I know people, I've had people in my family that uh, fully believed in reincarnation. Fully believed in it. Educated people, college degrees and all that, and they, they believe that's really the way it is. And they uh, oftentimes claim to be scientifically minded. And I haven't quite figured that one out yet. How much evidence do you have? other than a feeling maybe inside of you that you did something wrong when you were following Attila the Hun and you've come back in this condition now. Well, they do say it's beneficial to be surrounded by other people with similar views. Okay, Christian's not going to argue with that. Buddhists believe that everything is interconnected. This is cosmic consciousness that... Uh, did you ever hear of the butterfly effect? The butterfly effect is the butterfly on western Africa goes like this, and a wind current picks up and turns into a hurricane by the time it gets to South Florida. That's the butterfly effect, that everything is so interconnected. Of course, in Oklahoma, it's all disconnected almost on a daily basis, depending on which way the wind's blowing. We have a flag outside of our house, and I used to try and keep it unwrapped off the pole. Because there's no way on my house I can stand it up. So I have to put it straight out like that. And it will wrap itself all the way up. And then it will unwrap itself. <laughs> wrap itself the other way. So it's kind of like, well, let's see which way the wind's blowing today. Because it's going to, I'll have it flowing beautifully in the breeze for a day or two with a three or four mile an hour wind. And next thing you know, here comes the 30-mile-an-hour wind like we're going to face when we walk outside tonight. They advocate doing good deeds. Now, this is where ringing your bell, own bell came from. This is uh, this is what we found, the Shui de Gon. The guy kept going over and hitting the gong. And uh, Bob Thompson and I was with, he decided he was going to go hit the gong because he'd done a good deed that day. And so I was afraid he was going to get us tarred and feathered and put into the sewer system before it was all done. <laughs> but he went over there and he didn't hit it just once like the other people did. I guess they were humble. And he hit it several times. <laughs> he said, well, I've done several good deeds today. <laughs> so anyway, they advocate doing good deeds, just not following strict rules. They don't want a whole lot of rules because so, they got to be flexible so they can evolve. Compassion is a natural extension of understanding and wisdom. Not if you believe in survival of the fittest. Okay, because what does that do? That puts you in an adversarial position with everybody you come in contact with. Kind of like vying for a parking space at Walmart. You can, you can get an adversarial position there real fast. This is an interesting comment. Sex is less the act of when or with whom. But more important is the motivation, the attachment, and consequences of any act. Does that sound like maybe a 1960s free love movement in the United States? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it doesn't matter when or with who. 
Okay, it's whether or not there's an attachment of some kind. Hello. And moderation is the key to success in most things. Now, you could make some good arguments for that. Uh, a lot of things that we're supposed to do but not overdo. So, their teaching is never too late to start, pra start, te start practicing and thinking the right way to live. Okay, you can become a Buddhist anytime you want to become a Buddhist. It's interesting that some of the people who believe in reincarnation, if you say, well, you're just a Buddhist, that I'm not a Buddhist. But yet, that's basically what they are. That Well, then you're a Hindu. You can have fun with some relatives at Christmas time. Comments. Buddha was a mere man. This is who he is. Who did not believe in an intelligent creator who brought all things into existence. He just thought they had always been here and existed. His is a system of thought based on matter as the ultimate starting point of all things and a system of good works so one could return in the next life in a better condition. That's Buddhism in a nutshell. Doesn't believe in an almighty. Your own redemption is yourself. And your good works are going to bring you back in a higher position in the next life. It's a classic example of salvation by works. While in the short term it appears to produce a peace of soul, there will always be an uncertainty of how well a person has done. It's one of the things that you find that is the common denominator of every system of works for salvation found on the planet. If you believe you got to work to be saved, you'll always wonder if I've done enough. If you believe you have to work to stay saved, you always wonder, have I done enough? That is a problem when works is introduced into a system of grace that God has so clearly established. Buddhist salvation believes that individuals must find ways to save themselves. So that is Buddhism in a nutshell. More information there to be found in the back of the book if you'd like to look for it. And um, next week when we come back, we're going to take a look at Hinduism. Um, it's pretty similar, but they've, um, they're kind of broken into different... Uh, Hinduism has cults within it. It's really kind of strange. Uh, we actually one time um, went with Solo. We went up the mountain, drove four hours into the jungle. It was an interesting, uh, very interesting... Uh, trip up there because it was basically a one lane road with some occasional pullouts. So if you had a big lorry truck coming your way, they got the right of way. Uh, the biggest gets the right of way in India. That's just the way it is. And so we took four hours, drove up there. Uh, Dr. Charlie Stillian and I went up there, and Solo said, You're going to do a graduation service. Okay, I'm thinking graduation service like most any other one. Uh, we have graduates here. We've got uh, 50 graduates or something like that. Just them and their families, that's all that'll be there. So we go up to this, this place, up the mountain, and we find out later that this, occasionally elephants come out on the road and push cars off the side. I mean, it's just one of these interesting things that you... After it's done, you know the Lord has protected you every kilometer of the way. And so we went up there and uh, 
he said, they're almost ready for you. We're going to go over there in just a minute. Got a hotel room for us to just sit down and crash out for a few minutes. And he, uh, then he said on the way to the to meeting place, he said, each of you are going to speak for an hour. I'm thinking a graduation ceremony, 20 minutes. You know, each of you are going to speak for an hour. And so he, <laughs> and so Charlie looked at me. I looked at Charlie. I said, Charlie, you want to go first? <laughs> and he said, No way. <laughs> so yeah, we got we got started out there, and I was just kind of like, Okay, Lord, this is all yours. I don't know what's coming out, but here we go. And so it was really funny because the Lord took over. And uh, I told Charlie when it was over, I wish he had notes on it so I could do it again. <laughs> but it was just, came right on out of there. And then uh, uh, when we walked into the meeting hall, you know, 50 people, maybe 100, 150 people, there's all you get. We had over 600 people sticking out of that thing. Uh, people looking in the windows. I mean, it was it was a massive gathering of people there. We just kind of walked in blind on it. And uh, Charlie got up and did about the same thing. You know, Lord took over there and he offered encouragement and, and uh, some good words. And then um, we found out later Solo got over 100 new students off of that meeting. That uh, what people had learned and what was important and things like that, and so that was that was really cool. And then we came back down. He said we got to get back to the bottom before dark, and uh, so we took off down the mountain. I think I told you about this. He was coming down the mountain one time because he'd go up there once a month and teach him, teach him a chapter, and then he'd go back the next next month and teach him again. And he was coming down the road one night, and he said the car just absolutely, all the electric was gone. And it's dark. I mean, there wasn't no street lights. There wasn't, there wasn't no, that's a good one. But there wasn't any street lights, and he um, uh, was coming down, and all of a sudden, all the interior lights, everything is off. The headlights on this little skinny road. And it is a mountain road. And so... I said, what'd you do? He said, I prayed. <laughs> I said, I bet you did. And he said, yeah, I did. And he said, about five minutes later, a guy pulled up behind me on a three-wheeler. And he said, he got out of the car, walked around the front, he had a flashlight, tapped on the hood for me to pop the hood. He raised the hood up. He did something under the hood. He has no idea what he did under the hood. Closed the hood. He said, wait five minutes and start the car. And drove off. <laughs> so Anyway, Solo said, I think it was an angel that stopped by and helped me because he waited five minutes, turned the key on, everything lit up, and he drove it on home. <laughs> so it's kind of a uh, interesting object lesson from the Lord that uh, no matter where you are on a jungle road, he knows where you are, and he gets you the people at the right time. So it was, a, it was a, a great illustration. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for all your blessings, your tests. Thank you for all your goodness and all your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the truth revealed in your word. And, Father, we can not be tossed here and there by every wave of beliefs or things like that. Father, we know 
that there is a standard. We trust you that you have set it. And may we learn it. May we live by it to honor you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.